Welcome to Season 2 of the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Program brought to you by Fundraising University. Coaching Matters is a nonprofit foundation whose primary purpose is to help coaches, athletes, and activities directors succeed in their programs, schools, and communities. Fundraising University works to help you raise the most amount of money in the least amount of time with the least amount of interference to support coaches, activities directors, in enhancing the student-athlete experience and life skill development that's a critical component of our educational system. Every month, Fundraising University brings you a live group coaching session around mastering mental performance, creating championship culture, and developing the leadership skills you need to succeed. Be sure to apply to be part of Coaching Matters Season 2 at coachingmatters.org. Again, apply to be part of Season 2 at coachingmatters.org. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, host of the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Program, sponsored by Fundraising University, and super excited today to welcome to the Group Coaching Program, Cliff Godwin. He's the head baseball coach of the East Carolina University Pirates and has done an amazing job at taking his alma mater to the top of college baseball. One of the most successful programs in college baseball since he started there as the head coach. But if we go all the way back, East Carolina, when he was there as a player, was one of the most successful programs when he was there from 1998 to 2001. And from there, he went on, had a short stint in professional baseball as a player, and then has been an assistant at UNC Wilmington. Vanderbilt, Notre Dame, LSU, Central Florida, and Ole Miss taking over uh, at East Carolina after helping lead Ole Miss to the College World Series in, in 2014. So excited today to be joined by my good friend and one of the top coaches in all of college athletics, Cliff Godwin. Cliff, thanks for being here with Coaching Matters. Kane, thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. I know you were reading off that resume because uh, you didn't remember all the that stuff. So oh, it's a vault, man. I got it. I got it locked in here. It's a vault. But you know, Cliff, you've had an amazing run, man, at, at being in some great places, right? I mean, with Mark Scaff at Wilmington, he's I think a 900 plus game winner, Hall of Famer. Obviously, with Tim Corbin, who's been very successful at Vanderbilt. You're with Paul Maneri at Notre Dame, and then at LSU, uh, and then with Terry Rooney at Central Florida, and, and Mike Bianco at, at Ole Miss, who just won a national championship, you know, for for the Rebs in Oxford. But I think it goes back to Coach Keith LeClaire. East Carolina. And for the coaches on this call, whether you're a baseball coach or not, I want you to buy the book and check out Coaching Third, the Keith LeClaire story. I didn't play for Coach LeClaire. Coach Godwin did. And when you read this book, uh, it, it's it's going to be impossible not to cry. Everybody was talking about it. But uh, sorry, man. <laughs> but the impact that coaches have, man. You know, we're talking about coaching matters. And obviously, Coach LeClaire um, had a huge impact on you, Cliff. So could you talk a little bit about him and kind of his legacy? Well, Kane, I wasn't trying to make you cry uh, first off, but, but uh, I remember when I gave you the book, you told me when you were flying back, uh, wherever you were living at the time, that uh, you teared up. And uh, Coach Claire was such an inspiration to so many people, especially, you know, myself. You look at Eric Backage, the head coach at Clemson, who was one of my teammates, Nick Schnabel, his assistant, um, one of my teammates, Brian Ward, the recruiting coordinator at UCLA, one of my teammates, uh, Clayton McCullough, the first base coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers, one of my teammates. And Coach had a very unique way of, of touching a lot of different personalities and bringing them all together and making a group of really, uh, you know, blue-collar, hard workers, not the most highly touted recruits to believe that we could beat anybody in the country if we put the work in. And, you know, he set the foundation – for ECU baseball and the vision that we, you know, one day could play in the College World Series. I know we haven't been there yet, and everybody's waiting for us to knock the door down. But when he showed up, uh, I was a player. I had no idea. I registered my freshman year, and then there was a coaching change. I had no idea ECU baseball could even go play in the College World Series, even if that that was, like, attainable. But, man, he made us believe. And um, once they brought their first recruiting class in, which was uh, Eric Backage's first year's, Novels first year, Chad Tracy, Lee Delfino, a lot of those guys that were really talented players. And we were number one seeds in regionals for three straight years. We just couldn't host them here on campus because our facility didn't look what it looks like today. Um, but the teams I played on that I was a very small piece of uh, helped raise the money for uh, what you see today in Clark LeClaire Stadium. And I know people have watched on TV the jungle and how passionate our fan base is, but it all stems back to when Coach LeClaire got the vision started. 
you know, how was it as a player, right? I mean, you go there and you don't even, you don't even know as a player legitimately, I think it's one of the best things I've ever heard you say that like, Oh, East Carolina, like we can actually legitimately play in the college world series. Like we can go play with those teams we see on TV and you know, then, then the vision that he creates for you. And I think as a coach, you know, it's, I hear from a lot of coaches when we start talking about win a state championship, if you're a high school coach or win a national championship in your case, and it's like, well, it's never been done. So is it something that we should, should talk about, or should we talk about making the postseason, hosting a super regional? What difference did it make for you as a player when you remember coach LeClaire talking about Omaha? Well, I redshirted for coach Gary Overton's so I always say that if Coach LeClaire had been here when I was coming out of high school, I would have never made it to East Carolina because I wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, I was a better basketball and football player in high school, and my high school coach, baseball coach was a legend, is in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, and he had a relationship with Coach Gary Overton. So I knew I was going to have to come in a red shirt, but I redshirted on not a successful team. And they hired Keith LeClaire, and the first thing he talked about was taking ECU baseball, playing the college world series so um the antennas went up a little bit you know i'm not the brightest guy in the world but i feel like i have a lot of street smart so i go i just redshirted on a bad team i better get my crap together pretty quickly or i'm probably not going to be around here and one of my biggest feats uh was uh, there were 12 of us in my freshman class and only three of us survived the coach Claire error so i was one of the three to to make it to my senior year which i'm very fortunate and what I tell our guys all the time and, and not to get on a tangent, but I just really controlled what I could control early on, which was being a good student, being the first one to practice, last one to leave, working my tail off in the weight room. And so coach was worried about some other guys that maybe didn't work as hard. He was getting rid of those guys and, and not noticing me at the time. And then it, that allowed my talents and the rawness of my talents to kind of come together so I could, could turn into a decent player at East Carolina. You know, Cliff, what were some of the characteristics, you know, as we talk about, and I, I got emotional talking about the book because it just goes, it's a story that goes to show how important coaching is, you know, and you look at the amount of players that Coach Claire touched in a short period of time at East Carolina. It's not like he coached there for 20 years. In the short period of time that he was there before he passed away of ALS, the difference that he made in, in the lives of his players and the amount of people that you listed that are now college baseball coaches. What were some of the things about Keith LeClaire that made you kind of say, man, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be a college baseball coach. Well, he pushed us very, very, very hard. Probably some of the stuff, not probably some of the stuff that we did was definitely teetering on Navy SEAL training. So we'd get fired as coaches. Now, if we put, uh, you know, our guys through that, I mean, one of the most funny stories is we, we had an obstacle course and we actually had real barbed wire in the obstacle course. So like if you went under and you came up, like, you're getting cut. I mean, it just, that was the way it was. So, um, but he just pushed us to, you know, our mental limits, physical and mental, and he wanted to see buy-in. And like I said, by doing that, we all believed that we worked harder than anybody else in the country. And then once you got a year or two into it, you could see that the fruition of the work that you're putting in and the camaraderie and the team and, and just guys being selfless and guys knowing their different roles, um, um, and, and a lot of successful people came out of those teams, not just coaches. I mean, Chris Gentrop, who was just here a week ago, he, he's in the Secret Service. So there's a lot of uh, guys that came out of our program that have become very successful just from taking that work ethic that coach poured into us. And, and he put his arm around us, too. I mean, obviously, when things weren't going well, whatever it may be, something off the field, that was the thing that he had to really – innate ability to do was to push you really hard, but still love on you at the same time. When, when, you know, Cliff, you're through your career, right? So you, you, you get out of, you graduate from East Carolina and you start getting into coaching. When did you know you wanted to go back to Greenville and be the head coach there? Well, I, I tell coaches this all the time and it's a lot harder now than when I was coming up to the coaching ranks, but I had just always been brought up to just work as hard as I could at whatever job I was at. And I really had blinders on. And it's like I said, it's a lot harder. Um, you know, my first job was at Kinston High School. And I never wanted to go to high school because people said, if you go into high school, then you're not going to be able to go to college and coach in college because you'll get stuck. And I finished up a master's in December of 2002 and was doing lessons and just trying to make ends meet. And send my resume out to a few colleges in December, which is a terrible time for college coaching to, to hire you. And back then there were 
a lot less jobs at each program than there there are now. So long story short, I won't go into the full story, but I went and watched one of my best friends basketball team play. And the principal at the time had coached basketball when I played basketball and just said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm looking to get into college coaching. He says, well, how about if you come be our assistant coach at Kinston High this spring and then um, our head coach is going to retire and you'll be the head coach next year. It was like a 30 second conversation. So I was going to make a salary. I was going to have benefits, all the stuff I didn't have at the time. And I took a chance and said, well, that's a no brainer to me. I'm going to coach baseball and get paid to do it. Like I'm just going to do it. And then that summer I went to UNC Wilmington and I made $8,000 for the entire year and, and was one of the best years of my life. And I was running my credit card up and in debt and didn't care because I was coaching baseball at college. Like that was my dream. And then the next job was the director of baseball operations at Vanderbilt. I was making 12-5, still no benefits. I actually had no health insurance for a year and a half, which I'm not saying that was a smart decision by any means, but it was just what I did. And, uh, you know, I was actually part-time and the lady would, I'd sign off on my hour sheet. She says, well, I saw you here like at six o'clock last night and you're saying you only worked for four hours. And I was like, no, you didn't see me. Just to uh, get her to sign off on my time card at Vanderbilt. So, um, but like I said, I just put blinders on and did the best I could. And then, you know, I'm always under the impression that if you you work your tail off, somebody will notice and uh, give you an opportunity to continue to move up in whatever career you're in. So, so you, you know, when you go, you come back to East Carolina, obviously when you're there, right, you guys are, as a player, you guys are one of the top teams in the country. You're, you're, you're hosting regionals, not on, on campus because they don't have the facility to be able to do so. Right. So you're hosting at a local minor league park. And then you leave, and for a decade there, East Carolina baseball kind of, kind of went backwards, you know, wasn't, wasn't on that top, top 10, top 20 tier like, like they were when you left as a player and like you have brought it back to. So you're in the College World Series 2014 with Ole Miss. And I remember being there, and, you know, the interviews are happening, and you're getting interviewed to go back to East Carolina, and you take the job. In your first press conference, which I'm going to link to in the show notes below this, and I'm going to post a link here so people can see in the chat who are with us live. But your first press conference, you come in, you got a black eye, which I want to hear the story behind that. I, I think also, also you're, uh, you come out with a pirate's mission. So we'll right. talk about the pirate's mission and casting a vision for the program that you lead today. And it's the same vision that you talked about almost 10 years ago. Well, first off, it, it was actually looked like a black eye, but I've only had pink eye one time in my life, and I got pink eye somehow in Omaha, and it was such a bad case of pink eye that it bruised underneath. So uh, fitting probably for what Coach McClare would want, just blue-collar dude being you know announced as a head coach, but it, I didn't get in a fight, Kane, so don't let these uh, coaches think I got in a fight before I was announced as a head coach. But, you know, I talked with you. You and, you know, one of the things that we wanted to make sure we had was a foundation of culture. And, and look, the only reason we've been able to su sustain the success that we have is because first and foremost, every day we talk about culture and what standards we have. Um, it's evolved. We now have a mission. We now have a motto, a vision and the Pirates paragraph. We have all that together. But back then, at least we had a foundation of, hey, this is who we want to be and uh, the Pirates paragraph, and it's simply um, the Pirates acronym, which is we compete with a purpose, have a plan for everything we do and a reason why we do it. We live with integrity and do right, what is right at all times, even when no one is watching. We are responsible and have the power to choose our response in any situation. We're in control of our attitudes and our energy givers. We have the toughness to embrace adversity and keep moving forward. Uh, we pursue excellence and a lifestyle to be great we are selfless but we ever be and execute our role for the team we are pirates and um you know that was in the first press conference and now our players get up in front of uh one another and they say our mission our motto our vision and the pirates paragraph because i, I want our guys to always be able to fall back on that uh, no matter what we're doing you know, so for our coaches that are joining us here that, that have, have been on, uh, maybe caught the call with Coach Moziello, who's taken over the Ohio State baseball program last month. 
um, you know, you hear, you hear these coaches talking about an MVP process. So Cliff outlined the mission for East Carolina baseball, the vision, you know, going, going to the college world series, winning a national championship, bringing a super regional to Greenville outlined the principles in the acronym pirates. So I, I found the clip and I want to play for everybody here, the press conference for coach Godwin first day on the job in a press conference, casting a vision for the program. And remember, without a vision, the people are going to perish. So if you're a head coach and you're not speaking to the vision every day of the program that you're leading and what the core principles are, you're going to have people coming in with what their own idea of what they think it should be. And that generally isn't going to be in alignment with what you're looking for. So um, Cliff, before I play the press conference, talk about the importance of having a set of core principles to lead from in your program. Well, I think standards, you know, whatever it may be, but uh, you have to have a standard for what it looks like on the field, um, whether it be huge body language, even when things are going terrible, um, you know, responsibility to uh, represent ECU baseball in the community. Uh, if you get in trouble, it's not just affecting yourself, it's affecting me, Coach Palumbo, Coach Knight, all the coaches, even guys that played in the program before. Um, and you have to talk about it all the time. And, you know, I, I'm getting older. I don't lose my composure as much as I, I used to. And, and simply a lot of times we just say the standard is a standard and you know what the standard is. And you didn't meet the standard, whether it be in the weight room, on the field or out in the community. Awesome. Let's take a look here at Cliff Godwin's initial press conference named head baseball coach at East Carolina University. I kind of came up with uh, with some help, but it's something I, I want our guys to kind of think about it as a lifestyle, but it's an acronym, Pirates. And uh, the P stands for purpose. We want to have a plan and a reason why. When you start coaching, you know, kids in this age, it's much different than when I was coming through and some of my teammates where you could just tell somebody to do something and they just did it. But now you got to explain to them why we're doing it. Why is it going to make them better? Why is it going to make them a better person? And we're going to talk about that every single day. I, integrity. I want guys to do things the right way on and off the field, even when no one's watching. And uh, we're going to develop principles and plans to make sure that happens. They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to be perfect kids. None of us were when we were coming through school here. We want people to do things the right way all the time. R is responsible. Um, you have the power to choose your response. Um, each day we'll be faced with situations, uh, decisions, but you can always choose your response. You know, the uh, things you're faced with won't always be positive, but you can always have a positive response. You're going to get knocked down. you got to get back up, and uh, we'll talk about that all the time. A, attitude. I want guys to be energy givers. I don't want people to be energy vampires. I want people to bring energy to our program that are associated with it. Our staff will, and our players will as well. T, toughness, the ability to embrace adversity on and off the field. The game of baseball, as you guys know, is a game of failure. It's tough. Life's tough, and we're going to teach these guys how to embrace that and move forward. And they'll uh, do that in a positive manner. Uh, e, excellence, being at your best every day, but not only on the baseball field, but in the classroom. If you're a 3-5 student, be a 3-5 student. If you're a 2-7-5 student, be a 2-7-5 student. And then in the community, Greenville is a baseball community. We've got to get our guys out there. We've got to read to elementary schools. We've got to help with uh, underprivileged kids. We've got to do all that stuff because if we do that, they'll have more confidence and they'll play better on the baseball field. And then one of the most important ones, S, selfless, we over me. It takes 35 guys in Division One baseball to compete for a national championship. Obviously, everyone has a different role. I want our guys to execute those roles, not accept them. If you're a pinch hitter, execute it to the best of your ability, but don't accept it because we need you to want to be a starter. But you have to do it in a positive way, and we're going to play for the East Carolina Pirates on the front of our uniform, not the name on the back of our uniform. Man, so, um, so something so, I kind of so much there, Cliff, to unpack. I think one of the things you talk about is 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 like we over me and player over starter. And I know you're big into the the mindset, the signs of success in the dugout and things you have hung up there. And last year, if you got a chance to watch the regional or super regional in Greenville, you would see in the dugout toughness over talent, player over starter, we over me in the name on the back of the shirt. And, and you know, just want to unpack some of those things. So maybe let's get started with the mentality of player over starter, because I think that's something that any coach on this call, baseball, any other sport, college, high school, it doesn't matter. You can take and implement the player over starter mindset with your program. Well, first off, I'd say it's harder to do that today than it's ever been. 
you know, in a, a very selfish society, no offense, it's just really hard. You got to get the buy-in. Uh, our older guys uh, do a really good job of giving back. Now we're going into, you know, my ninth season as a head coach and there's older guys within the program. And uh, with COVID uh, giving us an extra year, there's a lot of fifth year guys. I mean, last year's team, in my opinion, was the most selfless team. It did not start out to be that way at all. We started out 14 and 13. And we really had a very unconventional pitching staff where we didn't have three starters that, that could go on the weekend. It was a bunch of relievers. And um, I just met with the pitchers. So I said, hey, look, each one of you guys are closers. There's going to be somebody that starts the game. And if, if you can just go one inning, just close out the first inning, we'll pass the ball to somebody else. And they really bought into that and bought into being selfless and not caring, you know, really who got the credit. Um, we had different lineups. Our starting shortstop had to go into our Friday night role um, and just a lot of different things um, and, and guys coming off the bench. I mean, one of our most clutch guys is Joey Barini. And if you look at the past two years, he probably hasn't had 100 at-bats, but those pinch hit at-bats that he's had have been very crucial in very crucial situations. And he comes through in the clutch because he, he knows that's his role. I think that you have to communicate um that to your guys and you know in the fall you don't really know what roles are but as you start evolving in the spring I think you can start having one-on-one -on -one conversations and I would tell you as a head coach that's the thing going from an assistant to the head coach was bringing like forcing guys to come into my office and talking with them individually and getting to know them better because when your title change they, they don't just walk into the head coach's office anymore uh, as they did as an assistant even though I still coach the hitters they don't come in here and ask to, to hit extra because you're the one writing the lineup so you got to kind of almost force them in there so you can talk to them and get to know them but then you know talk to them about how important their role is even if it's not a guy that's running out onto the field to begin the game with you know you talk about execute versus accept the role right and I think that's one mentality that a lot of coaches I hear they say hey you got to accept your role for the team and it's like well if I'm not if I'm not in the four hole and I'm not the Friday night starter I'm not going to accept that role because that's the role that I want right I'm not going to be right. passive and roll over and go oh you want me to be the 12th person okay I accept that I'll be the last guy out of the bullpen like but I better execute that role if we're going to give ourselves the best chance to win and create the culture we're looking for so could you bring some clarity coach Godwin to the mentality between execute and accept your role so when we were recruiting kids, so look, we're recruiting you to come in here and, and look, you'll have the ability as a freshman to, to pitch on Friday night. But I always ask them, who determines if you're pitching on Friday night as a freshman? And most of them get it right. And they go, I do. And I said, you're exactly right. I said, but if you're the Sunday starter as a freshman, uh, like Alec Burleson was, and ended up moving into the Saturday role and uh, pitching in a regional here against South Carolina as a freshman on, in the winner's bracket game, then at minimum, you're pushing everybody in front of you to get better, which is helping the team. But if somebody isn't doing what they need to do, then all of a sudden you go from Sunday to Saturday and maybe Saturday to Friday. Um, and the same thing goes for hitters. You know, everybody wants to hit in the three hole. Well, if you're hitting in the seven hole, let's make everybody in front of you better. And if you keep getting better, then you'll slide yourself into those areas. But I think it's a workman, uh, you know, attitude and just focus on getting yourself better. But you're also pushing your teammates each and every day. You know, one of the things I see in there, too, and I think kind of defines an East Carolina program, at least it did when you first got there. I mean, obviously, the more you guys have, have succeeded and the more you've pumped into the, to the program and the better facilities have gotten and the wilder the jungle has gotten and all that, obviously, more players are now going, hey, this, this is the flagship program, like, on the East Coast. This is the flagship program in the state of North Carolina. Like, I want to go play for Cliff Godwin. I want to go be a part of the Pirates mission and play at East Carolina. But talk about toughness over talent, because when you first got there, you weren't necessarily getting the best players to come to you, but you're getting some of the toughest guys to come out of that program. So talk about toughness over talent. Well, I think that's something that, that has to be cultivated. Even, you know, our, our first team probably was the toughest. I think we had 26 healthy bodies and it definitely wasn't one of our most talented teams, but we were still able to win 40 games, won the conference tournament in 2015, and then went to the Miami Regional and went 0-2. But really a, a big feat for uh, a group of guys that probably, if you just looked at their talent on paper, probably didn't deserve to be there, but they just worked their tails off and they had belief. Um, last year in 
this is no disrespect to our guys. If if you went around the field and, and looked at Texas and you looked at us, I mean, I think every one of Texas's position players got drafted. And, um, you know, we had, had our shortstop drafted as a pitcher and we had our center fielder signed as a free agent. Um, those were the guys that we had drafted um, off our team last year. So, um, but our guys, the collective group really bought into, and it goes back to being selfless, but our collective unit was as good as Texas um, when you put all the pieces together. But if you took them apart man for man, nobody would have been like, hey, I'll take your third baseman over Texas third baseman or, you know, um, each individual in, individual position. But, uh, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. I mean, I know that we're not going to get the most talented guys here. I mean, we're going to have Gavin Williams and Alec Burlesons of the world, but those guys really kind of developed within our program as well. Mm. You know, and I think it's funny when you talk about that Texas series, right? And they come in with the Golden Spikes Award winner. They come in with a National Player of the Year, right? And 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 a guy who might be like, we're the first guy from the class to make it to the big leagues. I mean, the guy could be hitting probably in the, in the major leagues right now. Um, but you talk about like the mindset that you create. And it started on day one when you got the, the, the press conference. One of the things that you also talk a lot about, Coach, is, is out-team the other team and out-compete the competition. And I think you just look at that blue-collar mentality. But unpack those two mindsets just like you did with toughness over talent. Out-team the other team and out-compete the competition. Well, you know, we competed something every day in the fall. You know, we, you know I took this from Coach Bianco at Ole Miss, but, you know, we have an MJ award. And, you know, my error the best competitor was Michael Jordan. Um, and whether we're competing at something in the weight room or, you know, we're giving MJ points for guys doing good in school um, and inner squads, you can get MJ points, but really getting them in that mindset in the fall. And then we give out a trophy for the individual who has the most MJ points at the end of the fall. So, you know, everything we do is a competition, whether it be academically in the weight room, on the baseball field, because it's harder now because a lot of kids are coming up and, and this is no disrespectful to the travel baseball, but sometimes you play travel baseball and there's not a trophy. Uh, some tournaments they are, but sometimes they're just playing on the weekend to get noticed by college coaches. So for us, we need to really make sure they're competing at something every single day. Um, and then out team, the other team is, like I said, you know, each individual player on the other team could be better than us, but our team is going to be better than them because we're going to execute the little things. Uh, we didn't last year, but I think the two previous years, we we led the nation in sacrifice bunts. That's not something that we set out to do. It's not like one of our goals every year to, hey, we're going to lead the country. It's just, hey, we're going to move runners to third base with less than two outs, and we're really good at getting guys in from third base less than two outs. And you can talk to me about analytics all you want to, but if we're up one nothing first inning, how does that change the way the mentality of the other team plays? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, those are just a couple things. I hope that answered your question, Kainer. Yeah, you know, and I think last year too, like when they panned the dugout, you know, and, and two things that you see in your dugout, and I want to come back to the concept of, let's do this, let's talk about MJ points, because I think that's something that a lot of coaches uh, here can, can implement, right? And on Coaching Matters, we're always looking at, removing the excuse for the coaches here going, well, they can do that. They're division one college coaches and going, no, right. no, the things that we're talking about here, toughness over talent, we over me, accept your role versus execute your role. These are all things that having a, a pirate's mission, a set of core principles and definitions that your players repeat and know like coach Godwin did called the pirates paragraph. You could call a creed. A creed is a statement of belief. It's the same thing. But when you talk about being a program that competes every day and you're giving out these MJ points, what would be an example of maybe three or five activities that you would give give points to your players for that any coach could take and build into their program? Um, in, in, in practice, it could be executing a bunt, you know, having all your hitters up there executing a bunt and everybody that executes it gets a point in an inner squad if you're inner squatting. Uh, and you split up the teams, it's the team that wins gets MJ points. The team that doesn't, doesn't get any. If you're in the weight room and um, you want to have, uh, you know, pull-up challenge, a, a push-up challenge, a sprint challenge, uh, the weight room is where we do a lot of our stuff. But then also, uh, look, you, you still want them to get good grades in high school because, like I say, it's a lifestyle. If, if you don't learn how to do things that you don't necessarily love to do, which – always ask in our first team meeting, how many guys in here love school? Nobody ever raised their hand. I said, great. I didn't love school either, but I was a two-time academic all 
American here. So um, your job is to be the best version of yourself in the classroom. So if you're a 3-5 student, which you heard in my press conference, be a 3-5 student. When we first got hired here at East Carolina, ECU baseball had never had a 3.0 team GPA. I was embarrassed because I was a two-time academic All-American. So I go, hey, our first goal is in the fall, we're going to get a 3.0 team GPA. We got a 3.05 team GPA that fall. And you would have thought with the coaches that we had won the World Series because we were so jacked that we actually got to our goal. Well, now for five straight years, we've had a 3.4 team GPA or higher just because the guys understand what the expectation level is. It's not okay. You don't get to miss an assignment. Like I don't deal with zeros. If you, you know, didn't do good on a test, that's one thing. But if you didn't do your homework, then you just go to study hall um, during practice the next day. And once a guy does that one time, then they don't ever miss another assignment because nobody wants to miss practice. So um, that that's some of the things we do with the MJ points. And sorry, I got a, long, a little long one. No, it's good. It's good. I think that's 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 one of the takeaways. I think for the coaches on the call is to is the the idea of the, the MJ points. I think a couple two other takeaways are going to be the whiteboard in the dugout. And then the name on the back of the T-shirt and the giveaway of the T-shirt after a win. So could you talk about the quality at bat and the whiteboard and the dugout and what the numbers are on that and how you use that? So we have a quab, you know, we, we keep a quab chart during the game, but there's a big whiteboard that has quab, QAB, uh, on there. And we have a guy assigned, a player assigned to that. So speaking of a role, it keeps them engaged. And if a guy has a quality at bat, which could be, hitting a line drive, moving a guy from second to third with no outs, getting a guy in from third less than two, uh, getting hit by a pitch, a walk, all those things, and there's others, then they'll just put, you know, a slash there for one quality at bat. And then we just keep adding them up. At, by the end of the game, hopefully you have between 25 and 30 quality at bats. We also have, and this came from one of our former players, but he called a drag bunt, Jesse's, uh, he's from Eastern North Carolina. So it has Jesse's and it'll tally those bunt for hits for the entire year. So it might have Kane and two there, uh, CG, it might have five. He has, has five over the course of the year. And you just, we take that board with us wherever we're going. We actually have a little smaller one if we have to fly that we take with us. Um, so we'll just take a picture of the big board that can only fit on a bus. And then it'll be, you know, um, the, the Jesse's and the quabs and all that stuff. We have quabs here to date. And then also the most quabs in a game. So if we got 45 quality of bats in one game, scored a lot of runs, then we have that off to the side. So we can always compete against that. So two other concepts I think that any coach can take and use. Another one is the, the jersey. If you look in your dugout, let's say you guys are at game 41 and your team is 30, or your game, you're at game 42 and your team is 31 and 10. There'll be a T-shirt hanging up in the dugout that says number 32, and there'll be something where the nameplate is that might be a motto for the season. Would you unpack right. the thought behind that and then how you use that in your program? Yeah. Something else I stole from Coach Bianco. So Coach Bianco called it a win shirt. So, you know, first game of the year, it's just number one on the back and whatever the motto is uh, for that season. So for, for us this year, our motto is a triangle. Um, the foundation is trust. Actually, when we weren't playing well uh, last year in the season, I, I was like, trust, selfless, communicate. So that's our triangle. So that'll be on our shirt this year, um, either on the front or the back. And then it'll have the number one on the back of the shirt, which it will be the first win of the season. And then when you win two, and we give it to the player who, you know, most of the time it's the MVP of the game, but sometimes it could be, you know, a guy comes off the bench and a pinch hit, whatever it may be, and uh, or you get down into the season and, you know, Gavin Williams has won like 10 shirts and, uh, you know, it could be the guy that's been injured, but he's been a great bullpen coach and you give him, you know, number 40 because he's been such a great teammate. So um, that that's something that has worked really well for us. And then, so you've got the you got the shirt you, that they that you give out for the win shirt. But then also, if I were to come watch you guys take batting practice, there'll be your whole team, let's say, in a purple shirt. But there's somebody in a yellow one, and it's got a Milwaukee Brewers logo on the back. What what is uh, talk to us talk to us about that that shirt that you give out? Or I shouldn't say the Milwaukee Brewers logo. It's a logo of the Department of Defense. It's so un, Department of that. Defense, right? Yeah, unpack so that for us. Yeah, Department of Defense. Um, so. 
um, I forget what it was called at, uh, at Ole Miss, like tour defense or something. And it was a yellow shirt. And so we got here, I wanted to change it up a little bit. And Pete Biscano, my first director of baseball operations was like, Hey man, how if we take the seal of the department of defense and, and put it up there and put like an East Carolina pirate head on there. And, uh, actually we switched colors and it's kind of like an army green now, uh, Caner. So, but same thing. So the guy that, is the best defensive um, player at practice the day before, or it could be a guy uh, or two. Uh, we pass out a couple if there's been a guy, a, a couple guys that had unbelievable defensive games, um, you know, in a game. So the next day you come out for batting practice and Kane could have one on, I could have one on, Jeff Palumbo could have one on, whoever, um, because – and then people ask, like, hey, why you got that shirt on? And it's like, hey, because I, you know, made a great play in the game in the ninth inning yesterday. But we give them out after practice, too. Now, you got to earn it. Sometimes we have on the announcements DOD, and it's just like earn it because nobody was good enough the day before. But if they were, then it'll be a couple names up there um, the next day on the announcements. So it, it's also good because the guys take pride in it. They, they want to another way of competing, but – Defense wins championships. I know that everybody says that, but we fielded 984 last year, which was fifth in the country. And uh, we were the first team that played on natural surface. So the other four all played on turf. And we were the first team uh, in the rankings that played on natural surface. Hmm. How about that? Interesting. Right. That's a toughness over talent thing. Yeah. You know, um, talk about mental game. Cliff, it's something that we've, you know, you and I started working together, I think your first year at Ole Miss, maybe 2010. Uh, and then I've pretty much worked together every year since, you know, and I remember when you, when you got the job at East Carolina, it's been something that, that I remember early on, right. You were like, Hey, we're going to, you're just taking the press conference. You don't even know who your team is. You're out recruiting. You're like, Kanan, <laughs> we got to get dates for when you're coming in to work on the mental game. Like for, for your perspective as a head coach, how important is it to coach the mental game and how important is it for coaches you think at every level to do that? Well, I can tell you this, uh, it's the most important thing. I know that everybody says baseball is 90% mental and 10% physical, but we don't train that way. We probably train 90% physical and 10% mental. And, and I tell our guys when we introduce it to them, which we bring our freshmen in in the summer and all of our incomers to summer school and, we actually started this two summers ago, but Blake Hardegree, um takes our guys, our new guys, through the 30-day mental game uh, process, Kane, that, that you have because I want them to get introduced to that the first thing. Before they start swinging a bat, before they start throwing a baseball, that's the most important thing. And it's not just baseball. It's life. It's how to navigate life. And, and so – I can't tell you the number of guys I've, I've spoken with that have played for us and gone off into the real world and say like, Hey coach, I'm so much farther ahead of these other people that I'm competing against because of the mental game stuff that we would go over. And um, so it's the number one, most important thing to us other than our culture. And it's something that we work on, you know, in batting practice where we have plates out, to, you know, when they come out, we have a green plate. If they had a really good round of BP, then they're going through their, you know, breathing and their refocus routine. And then if they didn't, then there's a red and yellow a plate that split half red, half yellow, where they're going through their yellow light and red light releases. Uh, our pitchers do shadow bullpens. Um, all, all this stuff is stuff that you can implement into a high school practice. But I, I would tell you that's one of the foundations of our program for sure because I think that's the hardest thing to train these days is the mind even more because there's so much information out there for those guys. Everybody wants to go to the mechanical fix. And when you're in the game competing, you go to the mechanical fix, you're getting beat. I can promise you. Mm -hmm. Somebody's throwing the ball by you before you can fix your mechanics. Well, if we should kind of you know, take a look at some video here from East Carolina practice from last year where we get to see this exact process, right? So if you take a look at the guys, first thing we notice, Cliff, you're on deck hitter coming into the cage. If everybody watches here, the guy number nine in purple, number 11 in yellow, watch the connection right there, the fist bump. Is that something that you coach or are we just catching that randomly? No, that's something that we coached. And, and actually we started that last year. And uh, the way I, I taught it this year was you got to get outside yourself. So whether you took a great round of beat, 
BP or just a complete uh, bad BP, you have to look at the next guy coming in in the eyes and give them a fist bump. So it's not just, hey, turn your head and giving, you know, a fist bump. You're, you're looking them in the eye because there's going to be times in the game where things are not going well and you still got to go perform at a high level. So, but it's also another positive touch with your teammate and, and getting outside yourself, like I said. So if we watch a guy in yellow here, right, he comes out, hands on the barrel, big body language. He's going to come over here between the green plate and the red yellow plate. And let's unpack that again for us, coach, because this is something. So the green, the, so the, green the green plate is everything there in green lights. It would be in there at bat, they're in green lights. And they're just going through their uh, pre-pitch routine, and they should um, have a breath on a focal point somewhere. Now, if it didn't go well, there he goes right there. That's Agnos. Uh, um, he's looking at a sign, sign card, got the sign from me, and now he's getting back in the box there. And if it didn't go well, he would come down to this next plate. Um, to the red-yellow plate. So it's kind of a check of awareness, plate. right? Whatever type of round he has is what plate yeah. he goes to. Yeah. Then they come over here to bunt. Yeah. And then if you look at number two walking over here, right? So up. But if we were to watch that film, if I were to let it go longer, he'd come over. There's another green plate on the third base side over here. What is this here? That's just for them to get the timing for the BP pitcher, but it also we actually switched it. We also have the the rounds. So um, in one of those plastic sheets, we'll put the practice schedule, which will have the BP rounds. So uh, kids' memory a little bit uh, less than what it was 10, 15 years ago. So they get to look down at that plate and say, hey, this round we have sack pull side, five gap to gap, drag. And nice. they get to uh, look at that before they hop in. There. And then another opportunity right there, boom, if you look at 16, right? So what's he doing? He's practicing his pre-pitch routine at the green light plate. Brilliant. Yeah. Love that. Another, another thing, Cliff, I want to kind of unpack is this concept of shuttle bullpens. So one of the things that I know you do a lot uh, and you guys have been very successful and you've had pitching coaches that have gone on to take different jobs, you know, um, with a pitch, former pitching coach you had now the head baseball coach at Cal State Fullerton. I mean, you've had you know, as you win, right, coaches go on and take jobs. One of the things that's been consistent across all the pitching coaches you've had there has been your guys doing these shadow bullpens with no ball. What are they working on here, Coach? So the, you can, you know, have a, a really positive reinforcement um, shadow bullpen where, you know, things are going good. You're visualizing, hey, I'm executing a fastball away. I throw the ball exactly where I want to. Umpire calls it a strike. Um, then you can have adversity shadow bullpens where, I throw a pitch. I think it's a good pitch. The umpire balls it. So then I've got to, you know, get off the rubber and do my red light release. Um, you can actually do a shadow bullpen while scrimmage is going on and actually go through the inning where the pitcher in the game, whatever he's doing, you have to go through it. So it could be a really good inning or it could be the innings blowing up and, and I've got to figure out how to get out of it and go through all my, uh, routines and releases through there. So there's a lot of different ways. And you can script it out for them. Um, so we have a couple of different scripts that we'll go through um, depending on what day it is. Nice. And again, obviously what the pitchers are working on here, you see this pitcher, you'll see the good breath before he starts his motion to the plate, working to catch the ball back, working on his pre-pitch routine. So Cliff, is there anything else from a mental game, a culture standpoint. I mean, you've talked about the Pirates mission, the Pirates paragraph. You've gone on to talk about the the signs of success and the toughness over talent and the player over starter. You talked about the whiteboard. You talked about the two T-shirts, the mental hitting drill, you, what you're doing here with the shuttle bullpens. Is there anything else that you feel like is an essential part of your program from a mental performance culture slash leadership development standpoint that you feel like uh, any high school coach could be able to, to implement? Well, I think you got to flood them with information that is, you know, good stuff from successful people, whether it be Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Bill Belichick. We meet at least once a week and have team meetings and watch a, a video, read part of a book, listen to an audio book, and then have them uh, discuss it. And, you know, we have accountability partners. So we have older guys matched up with younger guys within our program. So a lot of times in meetings, they'll sit next to each other. And if we're talking about a video, we'll have them discuss it together. And then we'll open it up for a team discussion and have guys answer the questions. So uh, I would tell you that basically you're trying to brainwash them from just being average or below average because there's so many 
people out there and, and I don't want to be negative, but just don't do things at an elite level. And we're trying to flood them with information that are not just baseball players, but people that have uh, continued success in whatever profession they're in. Mm. Cliff, you know, you just talked about using the classroom, right? And I think that's, that's something where, is, as we've done now, this being our 36th Coaching Matters episode, you know, and we look at what are some of the commonalities that all the coaches have shared. And I think every coach we've had on here has talked about using a classroom as a way to help teach leadership, character, culture, mental performance through sport. Um, how often are you in the classroom with your team and how often are you using, uh, how often are you in the classroom with your team and what might one of those sessions look like? Well, I would say at least at minimum in the fall once a week, but most of the time twice a week. Um, normally, this time of the year, we're going through and having a couple guys and not to bore them. So we only have probably three to four, and they'll go through the uh, mission, motto, vision, pirates paragraph. Um, and then we might have uh, a video that we show, and we'll have the team discuss it. Um, we also – so a lot of times talk about the start, stop, continue, mm. which every Monday our guys send in uh, a start, a stop, a continue. So one is academics, one is baseball, one is life. So if I want to start going to bed before uh, 1030 every night, they'll, they'll write that down. Um, if I want to get 25 extra swings, I, that could be my continue. And then I want to um, stop eating fast food. So those could be three things. Um, and then the next week they'll grade themselves on that. And the more specific they can be and the more measurable it can be, um, it will help them. And then their accountability partners go out to lunch or dinner with uh, one another once a week and they'll talk about their start, stop, continue and just how it went that week and hold one another accountable. So um, those are a few things we do. And then other stuff pops up each week where we need to go over. Um, but really it's not a lot of baseball stuff. It's not X's and O's baseball. It's more mental game, leadership training, um, just stuff like that. Well, it's kind of like you talked about in the press conference, right? Better people make better baseball players, better people make right. better pirates. And I think when you invest as a coach, that's transformational, and you invest in a coach who's building better people through baseball. And I've heard you say multiple times that you run a leadership and character development program that plays baseball and you just happen to play baseball at a really high level. You know, uh, I think that's something that, that all coaches can resonate with, you know, the difference between, between, um, being transactional and transformational, you know, and transactional and say, you guys show up, we're going to give you a field to play on, give a uniform to wear. You're going to bring us wins where you're saying, you know, again, I've heard you say this, that if you show up to East Carolina and you give us three or four years, depending on when they get drafted and signed, you're going to get 40 in return. Talk about that, that philosophy that you take as a coach of being transformational and, and, you know, still being young, right? I mean, still being a young coach is pursuing a national championship and winning at the highest level. And, you know, is, is as competitive as any guy I've ever been around. How do you maintain that competitive edge, but still be transformational? Wow. That's a, that's a lot to unpack there. Uh, you know, I, I just, it just takes me back to the super regional and um, you know, we were so close and, and hosting the first super regional ever on campus in my senior year. No one, we hosted a super regional that was off campus and it was, it was crazy, but, down the first baseline, there was an alumni area. And from Eric Backett and Nick Schnabel to Chad Tracy to guys that I had coached, um, all being there. And, and I told our guys after we lost on Monday um, that they really, I know they hurt. They, I mean, I was very emotional talking to them because I hurt too. But the people and the generations that they brought together, it doesn't happen like that everywhere else. It really doesn't. And um, to have my former teammates now being together with guys that I have coached now, because we're going into our ninth season and, and being able to spend time and, and knowing that our guys are prepared for the rest of their life. Um, I don't need it for my ego. I said it in, you know, about the only thing I remember saying in my, post-game press conference was I don't need it for my ego anymore. You know, I probably needed it for my ego 10 years ago to say, hey, I'm a head coach and I've coached in the College World Series. Now, do I still want to win a national championship? Of course. I mean, that I want it for our kids. I want it for, for other people more than I want it for myself. Now I want it for 
Lynn LeClaire, I want it for my teammates. I want it for our fans. Um, but I know we're doing things the right way. And, and when they walk out of here, they've had a great experience. They know what work ethic is. They know what treating people like they want to be treated is. Um, and that's what means the most to me. Um, I could have left East Carolina a long time ago and made a lot more money. Um, but that's not what it is about for me, um, especially not anymore. Um, I just want to be able to coach guys like a Lane Hoover, who's five foot eight and uh, one of the best players in the country. And nobody wanted him to play for him. And, and now he's a fifth year senior at East Carolina has a chance to, to break the all time hits record. So and he's one of many that have been able to come in. Alec Burleson just made his big league debut. We're flying the staff to St. Louis tomorrow. And the guy wasn't drafted out of high school. And the guy's in the big leagues. And I'm getting chill bumps because the guy just worked his tail off and was an extremely competitive human being and was a first-team All-American and a first-team academic All-American where I can only be a first-team academic All-American because I wasn't good enough to be an All-American. Um, but uh, that, that's what it's about for me and, and just seeing our guys come back and, you know, with their kids and stuff now, it's, it's just real special. Ah, that's cool, man. Congrats on that. That'll be a fun, that'll be a fun trip for you and the staff, you know, and we yeah. all want to take some time here while we've got some time remaining about 10 minutes or so to go to questions that people have submitted on, on the chat. And before we go to those questions, let coach Godwin get a quick drink here and take a breath. I just want to let everybody know that coaching matters is expanding and we've got Steve Merriman, who is a former pitching coordinator in major league baseball was it was a pitching coach NCAA division one at the university of Michigan. And on September 19th, he's going to be doing a coaching matter seminar are talking about arm care and arm routines for youth baseball players, high schools, pitchers. And it's something I think as a, if you're a baseball coach and you're on this call, uh, I think it would be something to be very valuable for you. And if you go to our chat, you'll see in a link that you can go to at coachingmatters.org and you can register for that. Uh, if you're on the call, you can, you can also, I'm sure we'll, we'll uh, get an email to you with more information about that. So I uh, wanted you to be aware of that upcoming call with uh, Coach Steve Merriman, and something that we're going to make a little bit more uh, frequent here as we look to expand our group coaching offerings with Coaching Matters. So, Coach Godwin, first question that comes in, he says, "How does your uh, from Coach Greg? He says, how does your personal faith impact your day to day coaching and life, and how do you share that with your players?" Well, I, I I don't force it on them, and I would tell you guys first off that the reason I started sharing my faith a lot more. Um, was I'd always been really uh, reluctant to share my faith because I'm not perfect. And if you dive into Christianity, um, there's only been one person that has ever been perfect that walked on this planet, and his name was Jesus Christ. So uh, I judge a lot less. I, I probably have a lot more grace, um, even with players. Um, Connor Norby, who is in double-A crushing it, he uh, – probably would not have lasted or made it through East Carolina if it had been my first year as a head coach. And he comes from a divorced family as, as I do. And I took a deep breath when he made a pretty big mistake. And uh, I, I just knew that our older guys needed him in the 2019 regional. And uh, I allowed him to, you know, stay on the team. And then he was, you know, uh, 43rd pick overall in 2021 and just matured so much. So I'd say, more grace, uh, probably, and just understanding that, you know, we're not, none of us are perfect. And, and um, just, I, I guess those are the biggest things for me. Yeah, I think if we're talking about, you know, signs of success or mindsets for coaches to be able to share with their teams, like progress over perfection, present, not perfect, or things that, I, that I've heard, you know, Coach Godwin mentioned a lot. And even goes back to Ken Revisa used to say those things. Hey, it's about progress, not perfection. We're going to make mistakes. You know, be present, not perfect. Just focus on winning the pitch, not being perfect with it. Win ugly, find a way. <laughs> Next question comes in. It says, Coach, you mentioned the triangle of trust, selfless, and communicate. Does this focus change each year depending on the team, or is this something that you carry year to year similar to developing an MVP process? So our mission stays the same. So our mission is we're always growing on off the field. Our motto, which that's where the triangle falls in, that can change. Um, last year it was toughness over talent and servant leadership, and this year it's the triangle with trust, selfless, and communicate. So the motto changes year to year. The mission depending on the, the team. Same. Yeah. Yeah. 
Beautiful. Next question comes in. Um, says, Coach Godwin, what's one thing you know now you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, wow. Uh, we don't have enough time for that. Uh, um, whew. Kane, that's a t- tough one, man. I, I know the million, million the dollar question, question, man. The million, the million dollar, dollar question. question. <laughs> yeah. Million dollar question. Um, that's a good one. I, I probably, I wish I'd have probably had more grace with, with young men when I first became a head coach, you know, that that's one thing that I, I just pushed guys really hard and it wasn't like I didn't care for them, but I, I just didn't invest enough time in individuals as, as I do now. Like I said, I, I schedule out individual player meetings, um, not with every player on our team, but um, with guys that, um, I feel like need help and need to leave the locker room and stuff like that. I, I wish I'd have done that earlier on. I was more worried about what we were doing on the baseball field probably than what I, I was finding out about the individuals, um, you know, from the inside. Hmm. Talk a bit more about that. So your individual meetings with players, um, how long, what are some of the topics? What's that look like? Take us inside. Um, it, could, it could be all over the map. It could be nothing about baseball. It could be um, – you know, how are you doing academically? It really is open-ended. And then a lot of times I'll ask them how their week's going. Um, you know, one thing that I implemented last year, I, I thought our freshmen struggled. They were kind of the first COVID group to, to be on our team. And they'd been locked up in their house for two years. So any little bad thing, it seemed like the end of the world. So I started meeting with all the freshmen as a group. Uh, once a week and just sitting them in a circle and me sitting in there and just kind of getting them to let their guard down and just kind of going around the room and saying, Hey, what went well with your week this week? What didn't go so well? What can we help you with? And they, they seem to open up a lot better when they're not with the entire team. And then with older guys, it's really unique to every individual, you know, depending on who they are and what they're kind of going through. Yeah. The longer they're in the program, the more you get to know them, probably the easier it becomes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What um so you, you take over a program that's not at the standard that it was when you left as a player and for sure wasn't at the standard that it is now. Couple thing anything that you did, maybe one to three things that you'd say like when you're taking over a program and you're gonna turn it around, do this. Well, I, I think number one, you've got to lay out what your standards are, what your culture is, and it's gotta be pretty specific. Um because that's important. Like you can't all of a sudden turn up the volume and say, Hey, like we're going to go extreme after they've kind of been able to do whatever they wanted to do. So I, I think start off more strict than probably what you would even think that you wanted to be. I say strict, just whatever your standards are, like it's got to be pretty cut and dry. Like you got to take time to educate your program on what, those standards are. I, I think that was something that we did a really good job with early, even when we didn't have the talent that was necessary to maybe actually compete in a national championship. I think that's number one. Um, number two, um, I, I think once you are getting into your years, like really leaning on your older guys to pass on their legacy to the younger guys. I mean, I think that's one thing that if you talk to any younger guy in our program and in the past couple of years, there's older guys that have impacted them that they could have even taken their jobs because they were talented, but they give back and teach them things that they wish they'd have done better as a freshman. And that allows freshmen and new guys to come into our program and have more success early. Mm. Going from being coach fed to player led. Yeah, how do, what's yeah. one way to do that? One way to, for you to take a program that anybody on this call is running to move from being coach-fed to player-led? Well, I would tell you this, and I ran into this uh, a little bit last year, is you got to make sure, number one, that when you're, you're feeding players that you got to have at least a couple guys that are foxhole guys that when you turn your back, you know they're, they're going to do what you ask them to do no matter what. Um, and that – goes back to spending time with them individually and getting to know them, know what they're about, what their character is about. Um, but it definitely comes better for the players now. They're from, from me sitting up there talking and saying, hey, you have to do this, this, and 
that because um, they listen to the older guys a lot more than I think they listen to me, which is fine. Um, and if you have a good group of leaders that are older, they can um, handle all that stuff. Awesome. Coach Godwin, appreciate you joining us here on the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Program. Man, that was a fast hour. I feel like I just blinked. Any um, any parting thoughts? Maybe I know I know uh, your social media game. You sometimes you're in and out with social media and posting things. Is there a place people can follow the program to see kind of a snapshot of what's going on? Is there a hit or a Twitter or an Instagram handle for the program? Um, I think it's at ECU Baseball. I'm not even sure because hey, I'm not like you. No offense. I don't. Social media drags me down sometimes. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something like that you'll have to get blake to text it to you can shoot it out but uh you know that it, it slows me down i tell our players to to limit their time on social media um and the reason is there's a lot of things out there some's good some's bad and i think it's a distraction sometimes if you stay on it too long so yeah. can i hope that didn't mess you up by me saying that but no nope, uh, no nope. just trying to feed <laughs> just trying to feed you know because i know that you guys have uh even though even though you might not be the one posting there's definitely some good information coming out there on on the east carolina baseball you know twitter feed and things like uh if i were following it, i would have known that alec and not daniel burleson was making his debut you know so that would have been that would have been would have been good uh good to know so yeah well cliff man thank you for coming and i appreciate it there is a ton for me to unpack here a ton of notes um to, to type up in our show notes here so thanks again for being here and go pirates man and now, hey by the way one more thing over the right shoulder is that a peloton in your office that is a peloton that was my christmas present to myself last christmas when are you are you in there watching film on the peloton uh i am not uh, when i'm on the peloton i'm on the peloton Oh, could you? The Zen be where master. your feet are, King. Zen hey. master, be where your hey, feet are. Be where your feet are. Not like you when you're a hey, listening to audio books. I'm I'm having some uh, somebody yell at me on the Peloton on that on that screen. <laughs> Good. Well, I'll hopefully you get another one because I'll be in there in a couple of weeks. And we'll be you'll be hitting the Peloton and you know we'll have to do some circles, do some uh, some cycles there. So appreciate yeah. it, man. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. Uh, appreciate, appreciate it, it Go Pirates. Appreciate it. Take care. See you. See you, Coach. <laughs>